Green Pastures are the weekly devotions published by Vineyard Boise, consisting of four parts, the reading, the reflection, the question, and the prayer. Green Pastures for Tuesday, August 22nd. Remember our history, friends. Today's scripture reading is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1-6 through 6 from the Message Translation, which reads, Remember our history, friends, and be warned. All our ancestors were led by the providential cloud and taken miraculously through the sea. They went through the waters in a baptism like ours as Moses led them from enslaving death to salvation life. They all ate and drank identical food and drank meals provided daily by God. They drank from the rock, God's fountain for them that stayed with them wherever they were. And the rock was Christ. But just experiencing God's wonder and grace didn't seem to mean much. Most of them were defeated by temptation during the hard times in the desert. And God was not pleased. The same thing could happen to us. This is God's Word. In her recent book, Bearing God's Name, Why Sinai Still Matters, Carmen Joy Eames, now it's either Eames or Eames, maybe I'll say Eames, begins by taking us on an excursion back to Narnia. She writes, In the opening of The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, C.S. Lewis crafts an interesting and arresting scene. Edmund and Lucy Pavensi are upstairs in their cousin Eustace's home, lamenting that they are stuck with him for their summer holidays, rather than somewhere far more interesting, such as, what, Narnia, maybe? Their grief is sharpened by a painting on the wall, a ship at sea which seems remarkably like a Narnian vessel. Eustace overhears the siblings talking and begins to mock them for their childish imagination. He thinks the painting is downright rotten. As they stare at it, the children fall silent. Something peculiar happens. They can almost see the undulating waves, almost feel the wind blowing, almost hear the sound of the ship slicing through the waters, and almost smell the air of the sea. Suddenly, they are splashed with sea spray and water pours through the frame into the bedroom. In a matter of moments, there is no bedroom at all, and the children are gasping for air in a tumultuous Narnian sea. Perhaps without meaning to, Lewis demonstrates the nature of Scripture. At first glance, the Bible is only a book telling us of lands and peoples long ago and far away. But like the Narnian painting, as we look more closely, it comes to life and sweeps us into its story. Imes at this point launches into the combined histories of Exodus, Leviticus, and Numbers surrounding all that happened at Mount Sinai, but the metaphor very much applies to the book of Joshua, as well as to any other narrative text of Scripture, all of which is often discounted as being a downright rotten painting. Eustace is alive and well. Biblical narratives aren't merely there to inform us, but to involve us. We are meant to feel the undulating waves, the wind blowing, to hear the sound of the ships slicing through the waters, and to smell the salty sea air. 
Or in the case of Joshua, we're meant to feel the ground tremble beneath our feet as the Jordan is stopped by a sudden landslide, or as the walls of Jericho come plummeting down, even as our ears are meant to be ringing from the loud shofar blasts and our eyes straining our credibility as we witness the only 24-hour period of daylight in history and as our noses smell the moldy bread of the Gibeonites. Narrative and story at their best, biblically and otherwise, engage not just the mind in an ongoing pursuit of facts, but necessitate the engagement of the imagination, every bit as much as that painting in The Dawn Treader. We are meant to be transported. Yes, what happened in the narrative in Joshua was a unique event in the history of Israel and of the world, but we don't read the narrative merely to find out what happened or to become mythbusters or fact-checkers interested in verifying its historical veracity. Where's the fun in that? Yes, there's a place for that pursuit, but fact-checking wasn't what was foremost in the minds of ancient or modern storytellers. Remember our history, as Paul puts it, for it will alternately warn and warm you. You just have to allow it to transport you. So, as we pause for a moment of personal reflection and prayer, ponder. How do you enjoy history as a subject? Does it thrill and delight you, or does it bore you to tears, like all of those boundary-marking chapters later in Joshua? How can we help history come alive and transport us beyond fact-checking and date-memorizing? How can we take this journey in a book like Joshua? Lord, speak to us through the pages of this ancient narrative, this ancient text of wars and campaigns, of battles and divine encounters, as well as of the moral dilemmas posed by such wars and campaigns and battles. Draw me to the words, even here, that you intend me to carry for the journey ahead, centering truths, steadying realities, spiritual lifelines to help me root into you as I pass through my own Jordan and stare down my own wars and battles and conflicts. Through it all, remind me that I don't save the day, this day or any day, but that you do. And let me find rest in that reality. Through your mercies. <laughs>